Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Susan Weedman Schneider. Susan is one of Lilith's founding mothers, and she's been editor-in-chief of the magazine since it launched in 1976. Lilith's mission is to be the feminist change agent in and for the Jewish community. Susan's writing about Jewish women's philanthropy, the Jewish stake in abortion rights, the persistence of gender stereotyping, and more have been credited with moving the needle on feminist change in the Jewish world. She's the author of Jewish and Female and Intermarriage and co-author of Head and Heart, a book about money in the lives of women. She is the co-editor, along with Yona Zeldis McDonough, of a brand new short story collection titled Frankly Feminist. The book includes stories by 44 authors whose works have been published in Lilith over the last 45 years. Born in Winnipeg, Canada, Susan is a graduate of Brandeis University. So welcome, Susan. Hi, Meryl. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this new new collection. I'm very excited to. I'm so excited to talk to you about it. I've read a number of the stories in Frankly Feminist, and each is incredibly insightful and poignant. On one hand, I want to read the next story that awaits me right away. And on the other hand, I, I think I should take the time to appreciate the emotion and and the issues raised in the one I've just read. Usually when I love a book, I read it all at once, but I think this is the very special book that you want to savor and read each story more than once. You write in the introduction to Frankly Feminist that the author's voices turn a feminist lens on Jewish religious practice, Jewish history, and Jewish popular culture. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about the book? You know, I think the book is, and I can say this uh, with, with all due modesty, because I am merely the editor and not the author of any of the pieces <laughs> of write fiction. The, the book is a collection of uh, very rich and complex stories. As my co-editor, Yona Zeldis McDonough has pointed out, they're very modern stories in that they don't, you know, wrap up neatly at the end. And they are all across the range of our experiences as Jews, as females, in that they touch on identity, including gender identity, ethnic identity, racial identity, they touch on our feelings, and this is, I think, something um, very germane for Jews always, issues of belonging. And as we were reading through 
the many hundreds of short stories that Lilith has published over the years. And of course, many more hundreds that we've had under consideration for publication in the, in the quarterly print magazine. These stories not only um, resonated for us individually, but they also seem to accrete, seem to cluster into categories. Some of them are about intimacies between people. Uh, some others are really transgressive relationships. Uh, some of them have looked back historically, uh, a, a little bit of retelling of Bible tales, but most of them are very contemporary with some fascinating exceptions. We began the anthology with a short story by Esther Singer Kreitman, the, the almost forgotten sister of Isaac Basheva Singer and I.J. Singer, you know, I.B. Singer, the Nobel laureate. And it turns out that there was a firstborn, no, sorry, not a firstborn. There was a sister in that family who herself was a writer and whose mother is reputed to have destroyed her writings, thinking that she would be unmarriageable if they were to surface. And she has a story called The New World, which begins the anthology. And it starts in the words of a fetus, of a female fetus, and what it's I, like if she comes into the world. That was, you know, I, that was that was just amazing. But as I said, I think all of the stories um are are just are just awesome. But but um, how did you come about this story? She she died uh, in 1954, and Lilith published her story in in 1991. Um, how did you learn about her and her story? And and has she written other stories? She has she has written other materials, and this story came to us. You know, Lilith has always been fascinated by untold stories, or in this case, unpublished material. And uh, the story was originally written in Yiddish, a marvelous translator, Barbara Harshav, brought it to life in English. And um, we, we saw the story as an opportunity to honor this relatively unknown Jewish feminist writer on the 100th, what would have been the 100th, her 100th birthday. You know, the idea that there have been stories written in Yiddish, written in French, written in languages that are not familiar to so many of us. It certainly, there's a lot of unpublished women's literature in Yiddish, but also in Hebrew. And it turned out that this story was kind of hidden away. And when I say it, it launches the, the issue, the first section of the book is entitled Transitions. And those are really pegged to lifestyles, to growing up. And one of the voices is a Persian American writer who, who has a short story about a very young, very reluctant bride's wedding night. Yes, one yes. story in that mm -hmm. section is a mother who is letting her late teens, early 20s son figure out his own life and what that's like between mothers and sons quite often. Um, so there, there are stories that 
feel ripped from the headlines today. One of them deals right. with well, abortion. Yeah, one well, of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. Um, I'm going to get to that in in a minute. Um, I Sorry, just, I don't mean to race you ahead here. I'm flipping through. The <laughs> okay, no, it's fine. Um, very but they, I want to talk about Esther Singer Kreitman just a little bit more because it's on on one hand it's mind-boggling um that her brothers achieved the success they did and her mother uh, allegedly wanted to stifle her and in another way it it's kind of um a metaphor for um you know women's struggle for for rights um I I I I just found that um, I wanted to know more about her if if there is more to tell. No, she moved to England. She had a son who was in very much invested in bringing some of his mother's writing to light. Oh, good. Okay. So, uh, you know, there was in her. Um, more in her mature years, an opportunity for her work to reach a little bit of the public. But of course, she never achieved the recognition that her brothers did. No. She never received the recognition that even had she not been part of this famous family, here she was, a writer of enormous talent who whose work I think we would have appreciated earlier and and would have learned from. You know, there's another story in the anthology that takes up that idea as well. A short story by Nessa Rappaport called yes. Lost Her Names. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It it it's, it's about this, it met deals metaphorically and also realistically with a woman who doesn't get to choose who she is, how she will name herself, how she will name her children, how she will be known in the world. And uh, I was, there's a, there's, there's a very beautiful poem by, uh, by an Israeli poet about names. And I think about that often, that we have multiple names and there are multiple ways that we want to be known to people and to ourselves. And I think both these short stories deal with that. And and of course, we know that in Jewish life, women have had a different and and often more um, challenging struggle than men have had to be um, honored for the work that they want to do in the world. Um, Absolutely. Um, So you you mentioned um, this uh, uh, news to turn the world, uh, which was um, written by Katie Singer and and takes place in in um, nineteen seventeen, more than one hundred years ago. So um, ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court in June, there's there's been a tremendous uh, focus. Um, on abortion rights. Um, The story is incredibly nuanced and sensitive uh, about the impact of an unwanted 
pregnancy and an abortion on a mother and her daughter. Um, so I imagine you you put the book together before the Supreme Court decision. Um, but I want to ask you, why did you think it was important to include this story? And do you think it has special significance um, now after the Supreme Court ruling? Oh, absolutely. This is a short story that was uh, was very potent when we first ran it in Lilith, and it still is. It's told through the eyes of the oldest child, a daughter who has helped to care for the many, many other children in the family. And her mother turns to her when the mother is planning an abortion. She uh, she doesn't want to bring any more children into their already struggling family. It's it's not only beautifully told, and Katie Singer went on to write a book and got, she says, she always credits the publication of this short story in Lilith for being an important launch to her writing career. Well, that amazing the, writer. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the things about this story, certainly even before the, the terrible news out of the Supreme Court in June of 2022, was that Jewish law does not impede a person from having an abortion. If Absolutely. the, mm -hmm. certainly at, at the very minimum, if the life of the mother is endangered by the pregnancy, the mother's life takes precedence over the potential life of the fetus. Right until the baby is, you know, on the verge of being born. And um, there is no Jewish impediment to abortion rights. Plus, of course, Jewish women have been um, very receptive to the idea of alternative reproductive technologies. We live in a, in a universe um, where science has kept up with our desires. And we also know that Jewish women are among the best educated in right. the communities in which we live, which means that we are likelier to, if we decide to have children, if we want to have children, we often have our children or plan to have our children later in life than many other, women of many other groups. And that means that Jewish women also wrestle with infertility. So there are short stories here that deal both with um, the challenges of obtaining an abortion in those days, more than a hundred years ago, and also with the struggles around infertility, just as there was shame about having had sex and wanting not to have a child that this, I'm saying this awkwardly, we, but um, just as there was some shame around being pregnant in some circumstances, there was also unrecognized shame about being infertile. So there are stories in this collection that, um, that, that quite poignantly address all of those challenges. And, and the, it's interesting, I'm just thinking now as, as you're talking, that, that both the um, topic of abortion and infertility it's 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 always about women you know you don't you don't hear too much about about men when 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 we talk about them um especially about 
when we talk about abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, yeah. you remember that Gloria Steinem quote, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Exactly. Um, so uh, we've, we've talked about a few of the stories. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, these were the ones you mentioned are, I, I just found them all um, really um, very, very touching and, 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 and very um, meaningful. How did you choose the stories that were included out of hundreds that Lilith um, has published throughout the last 45 years? What a great question. You know, Yona and I read through all of the short stories that we had published, which was a real delight, I must say. And we, we had several parameters. We were looking for a diversity of voices and experiences so that in this book, we have narrators who are very young, narrators who are in their 80s and 90s. We have voices of uh, a black Jewish woman marching in the streets of Washington for Black Lives Matter. The, the very young Persian bride I mentioned earlier. We have voices of people who are caregivers and people who are speaking about experiences that aren't common to all of us. One of them is a young woman living in, um, in Israel in the occupied territories and her feelings about her family. There are captured in this anthology some experiences of trauma that we have all understood, I think, as Jews, and those are about war and displacement, but, um, and as you know from your own writing, the, the, very, the very long tale of, uh, that's T-A-I-L, of, of intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And also the um, imaginative reconstruction of certain relationships. So we were looking for a diversity of voices and experiences. We were looking for um, quality writing, not that every story we've published wasn't worthy of inclusion. And it was a terribly challenging process to move from hundreds of stories to a, a list of about 80 stories to the 44 that are included here. And, you know, we're really looking forward to possibly volume two. Because God, I was just going to ask you that, 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 yes, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so there's uh, so much, as you mentioned, there's so much food for thought in this book, aging, uh, same-sex relationships, Jews by choice, the Holocaust, and, and so much more. Um, who do you think is the audience for this book? I think the audience is, first of all, anybody who's interested in a good read, who's yeah. interested in literary fiction, in fine fiction. And I don't think it's um I don't think it's wrong to to mention that they're they're very good um, they're very good stories, and I think there is an additional um, chunk of the audience that will be people interested in almost a, a sociological look behind the scenes at 
the lives of Jewish women? What does it feel like to be displaced after war? What does it feel like to be um, living in a body that under Jewish law has been declared in some ways um, uh, untouchable? And people interested in a scope of history. Look, one of the stories here also interestingly translated from the Yiddish by Anita Norish, Nor Norwich, sorry, um, Hannah Blankstein, who yeah. was writing in the 1930s in Yiddish. She was an academic. She, she was a powerful thinker. She's completely unknown to us. So the, the audience for this book is going to be interested for several reasons. It's a delightful read through, I think. Um, delightful, not in haha, but <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it is, um, it, it's gripping, it's compelling, it's, it's, it's touching. It's, I, I think it, and each story um, that I've read so far, and I can't wait to 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 read more of the book uh it's it stands on its own but each one um is 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 really just a profound nugget of what it means um to be a woman uh in a particular uh place and time and and the scope and the range of the book in 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 time and and place and subject matter it it's it's to me um you did such a fantastic job with this because each story is just so compelling well that's very of course it warms my heart to hear that and i do think that the composite of these experiences is very exciting and so are the individual experiences and perceptions of characters here. And, and we say about Lilith Magazine, and I also say it about the characters in this, in these short stories, they may feel familiar and almost and also very much unlike ourselves. You know, we say that in the pages of Lilith Magazine, as one of our readers told me years ago, she meets people like and unlike herself. And one of the aspects of this new anthology that really thrills me is what I learn really each time I read through the stories, which is that we've built a very big tent to hold Jewish feminist voices, which is which is as it should be. No, no one voice in this collection represents the whole. I mean, some of them, some of them are very funny, actually. Some of them have have scenes and lines where you just want to, you know, call your friend and says, Oh my God, you're not going to believe this. Uh, but the stories also interact with one another. And that was a, a for me at least, a, uh, a surprise when we were putting the book together, almost like the tiles in a mosaic or the- mm -hmm. No, they do. They, they, yeah. they, they absolutely right about that. Um, thank you for verbalizing it because I couldn't think of the words, but, but yes, they do. Um, so, I know you're never supposed to ask who your favorite child is, but I was wondering if there are one or two stories um, that you felt it was imperative to include in this anthology that you just had to include. You know, each one of these fills that imperative in one way or another. So it's not a matter of favorite 
child exactly, each one of these stories still, when I reread them, brings me something totally exciting. Um, there's a story about growing up in Las Vegas called That Year in Vegas, where a very young teenage girl is in the chorus line of a somewhat seedy Las Vegas right, right. Mm -hmm. gambling parlor, very or or sort of burlesque house, very early in the history of Las Vegas. And I learned sort of empathically so much about what that universe must have felt like to a young girl, uh, to a young teen. You know, so that's one of the many that I love. I love them. I love them all. Ziva <laughs> I has a piece, has a short story in here about an elderly North African woman who is brought to live with her son in the United States because he wants to take care of her with all material um, pleasures isn't quite the right word, word with material comforts. And she really wants independence. You know, the same way that the young woman in Las Vegas wants independence, this, this nonagenarian woman transplanted to the United States um, and, and appreciates her son's caregiving, nonetheless, wants agency in her own life. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I love them all. What can I tell you? Okay. Well, okay. I, I, they are all very lovable. Definitely. <laughs> collection. Um, so I want to shift gears now and talk about Lilith. I'm wondering where did you and your colleagues get the courage and vision in 1975 to launch this Jewish feminist magazine? Well, I think we had um, a certain degree of naivete and a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. We had all had media experience. We, a, a wide variety of media experience in journalism, in television, in, in teaching literature, uh, in our own writing, editing the writings of others. We had exactly zero business experience. <laughs> And it is not the way anyone now would uh, would launch a venture. Um, there are many, many funny stories about our creating our first budgets and our first um, requests to foundations for support. Uh, and I still, it's one of my favorite stories to tell philanthropists that um, you can never really overestimate how naive your grant recipients are. Assume that we are very, very naive. Um, but we also felt very strongly that at a moment when the women's movement was really in its burgeoning stages, there was no look at the particularities of the experiences of women out of mainstream groups. So the, um, the early feminist magazines, including Ms., were not interested particularly in the experiences of Jewish women or Black women, not to say that they were completely ignored, but the particularities of those struggles within diverse communities were not front and center. 
So we were very interested in being a Jewish voice in the women's movement. And on the other side of our identities was the fact that every Jewish periodical, including those that were published by Jewish women's magazines like Hadassah, were edited by men with one exception, and that was a scholarly journal edited by a woman. And um, that was something we really felt strongly about wanting to remedy. In addition, we wanted to showcase the work that was being done to expand Jewish practice and Jewish experiences for women. Right. The same people who were pushing the conservative movement to count women in the minion who found it more challenging to, to count women and have women read Torah than they found it challenging to allow people to drive to synagogue services in the 1950s, you know. Um, so, you know, we felt the struggle to, um, to sort of enfranchise and give agency to Jewish women in both these arenas, both to bring feminism into Jewish life and to speak with a Jewish voice on a range of issues in the general women's movement. And right now in 2022, which is when we're having this discussion, um, it's more clear than ever when we're addressing the issue of reproductive justice, that there is a particular Jewish position on these issues that the general women's movement needs to hear about. Absolutely. So you, you wrote in the first issue in 1976, how do we reconcile our sense of ourselves as worthy individuals while identifying with a religious and social structure that has limited women's options in the synagogue, the home, and the community at large? Um, do you think we've, we've um, been able to do that? And, and have, what do you think about the progress that, that, that has or has not been made in, in all these years? Well, clearly there has been progress. I mean, you just look now at the, when Lilith first started to publish, it was one minute practically after Sally Present had just been ordained as right. the, mm -hmm. uh, the first woman rabbi in, in America. Um, there's been now, of course, the challenge is, are women rabbis being interviewed for pulpits in large congregations? Are they being paid the same as their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. So there are still struggles, but they are struggles of a different sort. Um, a struggle, maybe struggles of degree rather than of kind, but certainly questions around rabbinic sexual or clergy sexual abuse about um, sexual harassment and gender malfeasance in Jewish communal spaces, whether Jewish workplaces or, or institutions or summer camps. We know that Lilith has been in the forefront of shining light into those dark places. Uh, and that has been one of our missions from the outset. So a lot of concerns that are now uh, ripped from the headlines, so to speak, are issues that Lilith has been addressing all along. So certainly, certainly there has been progress. I mean, there's still uh, <clears throat> plenty of, um, shall we say, wrongs to be righted. But one of the things also that Lilith has done and from the outset been, been conscious of seeing as part of our mission is exactly what goes into this anthology, frankly, feminist. And that is to give voice to 
women telling their truths, whether in fiction or um, in personal essays, in very honest reporting, uh, investigations into activity in the Jewish world, and speaking out certainly about anti-Semitism, including anti-Semitism where it's wherever it's found, including in the women's movement, and um, making sure that there that what I said earlier that I see as the big tent in this anthology that there is big tent Judaism and that there be for people of every background, every age, every variety of ability, every kind of voice be included. You know, Lilith's writing about uh, deaf Jews or the, the Jewish women of color artists we have focused on in Lilith, including on our covers. So there's a tremendous variety, both in the magazine and, um, and we hope in this collection, I will say that one of the things we are um, very happy with is Lilith Magazine's tagline, which has become the title of this book. You know, as, as you yourself know, of course, Meryl, having been a Lilith supporter and reader for a very long time, right. the tagline of the magazine is independent, Jewish, and frankly, feminist. Right, right. So we're very happy to entitle this collection, frankly, feminist. That's that's a great title. Um, you just you just mentioned um anti-Semitism in the in the women's movement, and can you speak about that a little bit? You know, I think um, there has been a sense that there um. I'm, I'm not gonna get deep into the weeds on this, but from the outset, Jewish women have been very engaged in uh, women's issues, issues around gender justice in, in every large arena, including government um, and social issues and the nonprofit world. There are again, specificities of Jewish experience where we were, told often in Lilith's early days, look, why do you bother affiliating with a religious tradition that treats women as second-class citizens that for so long would not permit women to read from the Torah or to experience certain kinds of Jewish learning? And our response to that always was, there is a great deal of growing room within Jewish life, a lot of elasticity. And it's our job to open the boundaries of that, to push those boundaries, to make sure that that elasticity exists. Um, and the same way that we want to make sure that all Jewish voices are included, again, people of different abilities, people of different experiences, different races, different colors. We also want to make sure that in the larger women's movement, every voice is heard, including the voices of Jewish women. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, um, this has just been uh, delightful uh, to be able to speak with you, Susan. I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. I'm a fan of Lilith Magazine and now a huge fan of your anthology, um, frankly, feminist, which I think um, every um, lover of good fiction and short stories 
um, should read. We're we're coming to the end of our time here. Is there anything else uh, you would like to share? I think that um, really what what we hope that your listeners will um, will come away with, and you know that we have a mutual admiration society, Meryl. So your <laughs> high praise for the book really means means a great deal to me and I know to Yona as well. I think um, what I would love people to come away with is the sense that what we see in our own experience is only a small piece of the experience of of Jews, however we identify on the gender spectrum, on the spectrum of religious practice or observance, whether from none to, to, um, to orthodox, whether we are young, old, et cetera, that, that there is an understanding that we can learn from and really take um, delight in, take pleasure in reading the experiences of those people unlike ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. So um, do you want to tell people where they might find you, the book, Lilith Magazine? Um... Absolutely. And if there are any any of your listeners who are not yet subscribers to Lilith, shocking mm-hmm. that may seem, they, that's <laughs> a situation that can be remedied almost instantly. If you go to lilith.org, www.lilith.org, where you can subscribe and you can order the book. Also, you can go to Brandeis University Press. We are delighted that Brandeis is the publisher of this book along with the Hadassah Brandeis Institute. And that if you go to brandeisuniversitypress.org, you can order there as well, or from your local bookstore or from bookshop.org. Always good to give independent bookstores the business. And, I look forward to hearing from readers of the book. You can reach me, Susan WS, at Lilith.org. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Susan Weedman Schneider. The book is Frankly Feminist, and Susan is the editor-in-chief of Lilith Magazine. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, will be published next April. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.